This is episode number 133 of the Church Collective Podcast. In this episode, myself and Chris got to talk with Stu G again. Always love it when people come back on the podcast. Um, We got into his Beatitudes project, the heart behind it, all the great stories, the movie that's coming. Uh, Chris and Stu went down a trail of all the technical details involved in the recording and a bunch of stuff through his signal chain and all that. So if you're a gearhead, you're absolutely going to love that section. Uh, So here we go with episode number 133 of the Church Collective Podcast. Yeah, so I've been um, working on the Beatitudes project. It's been um, uh, coming together for years and years. But um, so it's a book and an album of music and a film. The book and album came out in April, and um, it's very collaborative. So uh, the the album has, I think, it has fourteen different tracks and fourteen different artists on it, um, including a poem that that makes the CD eighteen tracks. Um, so uh the idea behind the project is that you know i used to think that the beatitudes were things to attain like virtues to attain to achieve a blessing and it just kind of felt like they were for the super holy or the super spiritual and i discovered that um the the beatitudes are really announcements of god being on your side when the op- opposite is true when life isn't working out when you're far from being super spiritual that you know when your spirit is crushed actually in, in uh, where it says poor is poor in spirit you know and those with a with a poverty of joy like those that are mourning those that are grieving the um, the loss of what's most dear to them and those who are displaced bullied marginalized in the meek and those who are just hungry and thirsty for justice and righteousness and have no power to do anything about it and so uh you know what we want when we're at the bottom of life is certainty and answers but um actually what is offered to us is presence and what's amazing about that is that it's for the for every single human being on the planet it's not just for the the select few you know god is on the side of those who are crushed and uh um, and then I, I, I feel like the Beatitudes offer us um, an invitation into a different way of life by showing mercy um, and not judging, by um, uh, having a whole heart and not a divided heart, uh, and by becoming peacemakers. And so, so that's really kind of like the essence of the project. Is like what does what does these things look like in the 21st century? And let's write some songs that kind of are about the the this new way of looking at the world through the through the eyes of the poor and the meek and, and the and and becoming peacemakers and showing mercy and so um, that's a brief kind of background to uh, to the Beatitudes project. Um, the the one thing about um, collaboration is that I feel that that is also part of this message. I feel like the invitation in the Beatitudes is to open our eyes to see who's around us, and that's what I've done by having a community of people be a part of this rather than just trying to like do it on my own and build my own thing cool so so the, it's a book an album and a film correct that is correct yes so the book and album came out in april and uh, the film is being edited right now it's uh, we were hoping to get it out around the same time but we have we'd been filming for two solid years, and so the amount of editing to do with that is pretty extensive. <laughs> so, when you set out to do this, was it originally just an album, and then you added the book and the film, or was it just a three piece from the from the beginning? No, so yeah, you're right. Well, um, it was just going to be an album. I, I 
you know that's all I knew how to do really and so that was what was in my sort of sphere of ability uh, I just thought yeah let's write some songs and make a record and um, so as I started to talk about it with friends uh, some of the stories got out and about and um, a book publisher reached out to me Don Pape from Nav Press um, this is probably five or six years ago um, maybe even more and he, and he was like this is really compelling have you ever thought about writing a book and I said no you know I'm not an author <laughs> and uh, so uh, he asked me if I'd like get a proposal together and uh, and that's what we did and that that's really how the project began to broaden out into like the book and the film in in that um the book became the backbone of the project by uh because i had to gather stories at that point and it had to be other people's stories because uh mine wasn't quite so compelling at that point mm. is there uh like a standout story that that you can think of like throughout it that you just love to share about yeah, sure. So um, I think mercy is a standout uh, topic and chapter in the book. You know, um, I had this idea that um, this feeling that the mercy stories should all be women's stories and that the mercy song should be a woman's voice. And, um, you know, I'm not a theologian and a scholar by any stretch of the imagination. So I have like a few different people who are experts and uh, just to kind of keep me on track and so one of them is a guy called rabbi joseph edelheit and um and so i asked him uh i, I said you know i've got, just got this feeling it should be all about women and he said you're absolutely right because in the hebrew bible the word uh, rakamim which is uh, we, we we translate as mercy it has a, a three-letter root called rachem and it is uh, it means womb and so, um, so in its essence, uh, mercy is very feminine and, um, compassion from the womb of God. So, um, so anyway, that kind of gave me permission to kind of follow this road. And so I talked with survivors of prostitution, addiction, trafficking, and women that had been living on the streets, um, through a, uh, a social enterprise called Thistle Farms ran by a lady called Becca Stevens. And, um, just you know, these women that had suffered terrible abuse uh, from a very young age and, you know, 30 years later, they're kind of like getting their lives back um, after years of addiction and prostitution. And so what does mercy look like to them? And I met this woman who was on death row and um, uh, was incarcerated for 27 years. And, um, you know, I was just kind of saying to her, what does mercy look like to you after you got your life back, after facing the the her execution was 72 days away at one point. And, um, uh, and she's like, you know what, after being in prison for that long, she said, mercy to me looks like driving down the street and getting stuck in standstill traffic. She said, it looks like running between buildings, getting completely soaked in the rain because I couldn't do that for years. And then she said, it's like walking your grandkids in the park. Cause I couldn't imagine doing that for 27 years. And so, um, really amazing stories of what mercy looks like to these women. And I asked Amy Grant if she would, uh, write a song with me. And we sat down with Gail, who was the woman on death row. And we, we listened to her story and, um, then wrote the song morning light. So that's a real standout story for me. Man, that's so I'm just trying to think like, how, how did you go about finding so many of these great stories? Like, I'm looking, looking forward to watching the, the movie for sure. Thank you. Um, well, you know, it was a long process and, um, um, 
you know, I, I, I asked a lot of questions and I asked a lot of people. I reached out to a lot of people, you know, not everyone, um, hit me back or, um, or were interested, but, you know, just over the, over the years of like doing it and, and, you know, just this upside down way of looking at the Beatitudes, which is like when you're at the bottom of life, you are blessed or, um, a better way of saying that is, you know, God is with you. Um, I just started to kind of think about people, especially in my neighborhood and in my town, like, you know, in Nashville. That's why a lot of the stories are based around here because um, I feel like the invitation to be on the hillside in the first century is the invitation for us to open our eyes and see the people around us. And maybe most of those people we've not even noticed before, you know, and so people that we see as the other. And so, um, uh, you know, when I was thinking about people we see as the other, you know, I was thinking about the Muslim community here in the South. Like, what is it like for these people who are religious Muslims? Um, what, what's it like for them in the age of ISIS and post 9-11, you know? Um, uh, and uh, so uh, in that instance, I reached out to the Islamic Center of Nashville and said, you know, do you have anyone that I can chat with? And so I literally cold called, like, loads of these people and loads of different kind of uh situations to see if people would be willing to talk to me um with the idea that um it isn't about kind of creating any hot topics or um you know asking people to change their theology at all it's just like how how do we see each other as neighbors and how do we inhabit the same space you know in a in an age that's so polarized and so divided um how do we begin to have dialogue and discuss and engage rather than even rather than tolerate, you know? So, um, where did you, did you, I'm watching the trailer and it looks like you filmed in a lot of different locations. Where, where all did you go? So, um, a lot of this, a lot of the filming was done in Nashville, like I said, because, um, uh, that's where we, um, that's, that's where I live and that's where like a lot of the story has, has been but uh we filmed in india we filmed in the holy land um in israel and palestine uh we filmed in london and, and in the uk in brighton um and we filmed up in philadelphia with shane claiborne um and uh i'm trying to think where else um but yeah th- th- those kind of locations you know and then that you you tracked that smokestack yeah, tracked um, most of the songs, uh, you know, 90% of the songs at the smokestack. So um, uh, the reason I, I went there, A, because Paul Moak, who's a great friend, is an amazing producer and um, a great sensibility. And he, he kind of got the idea of the the, the project needing, needing to be a real human sort of feeling project. So I wanted a space where, um, you know, I could have a whole band of people uh, recording all at once so that we captured some kind of human sort of performance um and the smokestack has that in a completely brilliant vibe <laughs> and um uh, and everything works which is amazing uh so um so that's just, yeah that we recorded the smokestack some of the songs like uh with hillsong united um i wrote that song with joel up in new york and then we recorded it at in la at the record plant um uh, while they were recording tracks for wonder uh, their new record that comes out this friday actually so um 
so we recorded that there and then the propaganda song we recorded the track at the smokestack and then i flew out to la and recorded his vocal um at Westside studios um and then the track with martin smith that um <coughs> again that's a real standout story but um we recorded that at rack studios in london where radiohead recorded the bends and uh that was just an amazing moment for us man <laughs> so um one of my favorite drummers paul mayberry is i see him um on your trailer is it did yeah. he do all of the drums he didn't do all of them uh but only because he he was busy on some days um and um uh he played drums on a lot of tracks um ken lewis um a brilliant drummer in in nashville played drums on one track uh, on on the others actually played track it's probably like a mix uh, a split between paul and and ken um yeah brilliant and then we had one track where um we had three drummers in the room at the same time uh paul mabry ken lewis and my friend megan um and that's on the track um i will be your home with audrey assad and uh we wanted that kind of middle eastern feels a lot of percussion um but then i'd met a syrian refugee family um the week that we were recording that and i invited um hassan uh to come in and play drum and oud and, and he sang on the, on that song as well and so just super like real interesting compelling stories and um the fact that we had a syrian refugee come and uh play on a song that was about refugees and audrey herself is a a daughter of a first generation syrian refugee i mean it was just kind of um just really amazing <laughs> i have no words for how that made me feel it's great mm. so a lot of our um uh, readers are are really into gear yeah and um so i just have to ask you know i know smokestack is has just got all kinds of crazy gear did you did you stick with yeah. your main rig or did you kind of like really get creative and like what kind of vintage stuff were you using yeah so um paul has um incredible number of guitars and um and amps and things and so um and so, you know, I use, I, I've got my favorite pieces that, that I've had for years and years. Um, my Park 50 watt combo and my 62 AC 30. And um, so I would take them in and predominantly would use those amps. Um, but, you know, sometimes we just used to swap things around and uh, I'd, I'd pick up a guitar that was lying around in his studio or um we'd use a different combination of pedals but you know we would always i would always start with what i know and like with my rig um because there's things on there that i love and i know how how, how they work but yes absolutely we, we swapped around amps and um pedals and experimented a lot you know were you checking like into pro tools or were you, were you going um tape or, or how, how are we tracking yeah we we tracked a two inch tape oh, um wow. and um uh, and then transferred that into pro tools so we um got the performance of the song every instrument onto tape and then um if we needed to do any overdubs um we did that in pro tools 
Yeah. <laughs> so much. I, I'd love to hear too. Like, how do you like what What are you drawing inspiration from when you go sit down to songwrite or even just create sounds? Like, especially it sounds like recording to tape and all that's like fantastic. There's like a lot of like deep thought going into just the the production of the music. But I'd love to kind of hear like what are you what are you drawing from um, to create? Yeah. So. Uh, one of the things was on on this project in particular was um, we just wanted that human feel, you know. And uh, so um, it doesn't mean we didn't want to edit anything because um, we did, but um, uh, we just wanted to get a performance. I think that was the thing, and so that was always in in our minds um, to be writing from a place of um, everyone's got to be able to play uh this and and that's essentially what we'll end up with at the end of the day so what was different about approaching the recording uh this time it was just it was kind of old school where um we did a song a day complete because sometimes you know the artists were kind of flying in from new york or wherever and uh so we would spend maybe two three four hours at the beginning of the day um with the song with the track and the and the band and make sure that we um that, that everyone's part was essential to the song you know that people weren't trying to add too much or or that there was too many gaps or, or and stuff like that and then um uh once that was kind of done we'd, we'd look at if there was any overdubs to do um you know you, you don't always get it 100 percent right the um on a great take, you know, and so there might be a, a chord here or there that you need to replace or whatever. And then, um, uh, we, uh, you know, some of the keyboard stuff we'd, we'd, um, we'd add, um, and some percussion stuff we'd add, you know, and then, but then the rest of the day was, was spent on vocals and, um, and anything else to sort of embellish. And sometimes we, we had a string section come in on the morning light song, for instance, and they came in in the afternoon, but essentially we tried to record everything in that on that one song in that day. Um, so that it was complete. Um, there was a couple of exceptions, like I said, but, um, so that, that was always in my mind, even when we were writing the song, um, uh, that, I don't know, you know, like there's a real complex song, uh, um, makes of the piece uh, with the brilliance and um, you know it kind of uh, feels like that guitar part the acoustic guitar part might have been edited and chopped together but I promise you that I played that from start to finish <laughs> but, um, yeah that, that, that really opens up too could you maybe you know just in a nutshell as best as you can I'd love to hear kind of just like your musical education background because i know when like like you said like it sounds like potentially that was stitched together and that it couldn't possibly be played live but you you've got the skill set to do that could you maybe talk a little bit of how did you get yourself in a place where you're able to play like that um well that's very kind of you to say but um the um yeah my background really is um you know the bulk of it is sitting in bedrooms learning songs off records you know and uh and trying to play like other people play um i did in the in back in the 80s i did go to the guitar institute in london and um that that was brilliant that taught me um all kinds of different things about the about scales and um and about timing and 
you know, you, uh, learning to play te technically. Um, but, you know, I would say that um, really my playing has developed because of being inspired by other bands. So, like, when Radiohead came along, you know, I... Um, that they were a massive influence on me and on that particular part which is the why they came to mind because that 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 uh that chord sequence is very kind of radiohead ish so um uh so really it, it my background in terms of learning to play like that has really been copying other people and sticking at it you know like just playing it slow and slow and slow and then speeding up you know yeah Mm. what's your um what's your signal chain for your gu guitar as far as not not pedals amps but after that like mics compressors reprees you know how's that yeah well um in my my chain uh, in my studio is i have uh two ribbon mics uh they're uh, Panth uh, nos panthers they're called uh and they're kind of like new old stock royers um and uh, I, I use two Beta 57s as well, and then I sum them through. I've got the API uh, 3124 that I can sum on. I can't remember what that's called, MB or something. And um, uh, and then I go through uh, two distressors, uh, so one for one amp, one for the other amp, because uh, I, I I tend to record two amps. It's something that I've like done for years and years and i've just kind of got in that habit so you know sometimes when i'm using uh, like a stereo delay from my h9 it will sound like stereo sometimes it sounds like it's just a blend you know and it's typically a marshall and vox or something very similar to that so um uh yeah so i have two uh distressers um they're compressors that just kind of uh, and i really just tickle them it's just to kind of hold um hold the peaks um it i you know i can still play quite dynamically uh through that and then um and that's it that goes into my pro tools rig in uh in the smokestack uh my chain was i i i think they were using royers um and sometimes condenser mics which i'm not entirely sure about and then um Again, I think the guitars went through APIs um, to tape. So, yeah, that's as far as I can remember. And so, um, just to kind of get more technical, um, when you when you track your your amps in stereo, um, do you have one left and one right, or would you put them both left, like both left, and then do another take and put them both right for that blend? Um, so. Um, well, typically I would record them left and right, um, just so I can hear, um, exactly what's going on. But, you know, if, if the, the tricky thing with using two of anything is like phasing, right? So, um, so when they're panned left and right, um, unless there's sort of modulation or like a stereo delay going on, I'm list, I'm hearing them dead center, um, because uh you know i don't want there to be any sort of phasing issues so that's one of the things is that um I'm, i am hearing a blend even though they're panned left and right um and it sounds mono you know so yeah. um 
Um, so I would typically do that. Sometimes if I was going to double track a part, um, then I would like track it like that. And then I would just like re-record one of the amps on one of the sides and, and do that. Um, that way it kind of saves tracks. I mean, you don't really need to save tracks in the world of like limitless tracks, but yeah. I'm, I'm always thinking about the back end, you know, and trying to sort things out at the end of the day <laughs> and mix it, you know, but, um, so it, it varies most of the time. If I wanted to double track something, I would just flip one of the, uh, one of the already recorded amps into record and, and do it again there. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, how, how can people connect with what, everything you're doing right now, Stu? Yeah. So, um, uh, with the Beatitudes Project, um, the BeatitudesProject.com is a great place to go as a central place where you can like have links to getting the music or the book or the, the film when it comes out. You can watch the video trailer on there. Um, and uh, social media, you know, my uh, my Twitter and Instagram account is at Stugio, S-T-U-G-I-O. Um, and uh, my Facebook is Stugio. So search for Stoogie and you'll, you'll, you'll find my page and, you know, we're updating that regularly and, um, and we'll announce, you know, when things are available or any other news. Um, I'm, I tour with Michael W. Smith. So, um, uh, watch out for Michael W. Smith dates, um, uh, band dates that is. Sure. And, uh, and I should be around. Awesome. That's it for this episode. Be sure to go check out everything Stu's got going on. Connect with him on social media. Uh, Check out the project, and we will see you in the next episode.